All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Homemade Ops on our Friday Friends special. Today we actually have a really special guest with us, and I'm super excited. He's been a longtime friend, and this is McLean Taylor. Everyone. Well, hello, Todd Davis. How are you doing, brother? <laughs> <laughs> doing pretty good. If I don't say so myself. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Well, so the purpose of having McLean on our show today, and so if anyone hasn't heard about him recently, it, McLean has actually made a, quite the name for himself, especially in the Utah community. Well, he's a, he's a master, a master at communication, uh, limiting beliefs breakthroughs. He's a life coach. He's a communication expert, a best-selling author. He has a focus on limiting beliefs and paradigm shifts. So he's he's actually had helped a lot of people that have been going through a lot of challenges with, uh, let's say, fixing relationships, divorce, identity crisis, religious belief crisis, communication, limiting beliefs. Have I missed anything? Or <laughs> No, no, that's uh, definitely what I focus most of my time on. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, McLean, uh, so the reason why we wanted to bring you on today was, so there's a lot of problems that people have. And the, the problems that people have is communicating when it comes to finances and just getting operations underway. And we have some statistics that we're going to throw out here in just a minute just to kind of illustrate the problem. And maybe this will hit home for some people. Sure. But uh, with you, though, if you can just give some background, like what's what makes you you? And what? Oh. how did you get to this point? Well, I think it's the ADHD, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, which which actually a lot of people think is a curse, but it's a, it is a blessing. And... Um, it's allowed me to hyper focus on only projects that I'm obsessed with, only things I'm interested in. So, at first it was break dancing. That's and right, I remember that. I was a I was a break dancer for the Utah Jazz um, halftime shows and also in UVU settings. Uh, I've done private gigs for businesses. I've performed for Hope of America. Uh, <laughs> I've I've been part of multiple music videos, unnamed. Um, lots of break dancing and it was very, very fun, except it didn't pay the bills. <laughs> right. I didn't structure it in such a way that it could pay the bills, even though I probably could build a business, like an online course now, um, that, it, you know, I haven't even thought about doing that because my focus has been s- in such a different direction, but I think that's a great idea. But you asked the question, how'd I get into this? It was break dancing. Hmm. I... I went through a divorce back in 2014. I got a degree in uh, psychology and business management. Um, so it mixes two degrees. It's called integrated studies. And they also have you write a senior thesis before you can graduate with a bachelor's degree, which is kind of unusual, but it's very fun. So I spent over a year writing a senior thesis on nonverbal communication. Well, once I got my degree, I'm working at, you know, Workfront down by Thanksgiving Point in Utah. And life is going pretty good. I'm paying off my debts. I, I'm recovering from divorce and things are just stable. Then my buddy who I used to break dance with says, hey, we should go to the seminar and we should break dance together. And I said, heck yeah, let's do that. That sounds like a lot of fun. So we go down there and, and you know, I, I realized that I had a story, but I, I didn't realize that I was significant. I didn't realize that I, I could help people. In fact, in many ways, I thought I was too broken to even offer advice. That was 2014. Um, I had a lot of paradigms about myself, or if people don't understand what a paradigm is, because it's kind of a, an uncommon word that people hear, it's a point of view or an opinion, essentially. It's the lens of which you are looking at something. So w- which glasses are you putting on before you look at your life? That's a paradigm. It's the different sets of glasses that we're putting on. I had a paradigm that was, I'm broken. I'm not good enough uh, to be loved. I clearly am not good enough to be in a relationship because I did everything I could. And on paper, everything, everything was great. Well, when I went to this seminar, um, the two hosts of it came up to me afterwards and said, you're really good with a crowd. Because obviously I've been breakdancing for a while. Like, of course I'm good with a crowd. Uh, I don't even necessarily consider myself a dancer. I consider myself an a entertainer. Per- entertainer performer. Right? Yeah. I can totally see that. <laughs> I don't like competing. I don't like the the battling and breakdancing, which is part of the it's part of the b-boy scene or the breakdancing scene is battling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the culture. And I'm very familiar with it. 
I just don't choose to be part of it because I enjoy performing more. I like everyone to be included in the in the fun, in the in- entertainment. Right. So, um, anyway, with that being said, uh, these two come up to me and they say, McLean, you are really good at running a crowd. We'd love to also learn how to break dance from you. And I'm thinking, what are these mid-30s guys want from me? You know, they... <laughs> And 24, 25. They announced and- that this group had gathered a, a, over $30,000 to uh, help fund a, a school, um, building a school out in Africa. And I'm thinking, how are these people gathering so much money? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, how are, they, how are they doing this stuff? I didn't understand money at the time. So they come up to me and I say, yeah, sure. I'll teach you guys how to break dance. Um, when? when? When works? And, and uh, my buddy Chris, uh, who was one of the hosts of the event, he said, oh, we're going to do it at Monday at 6 a.m. at UVU. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's 6 a.m. Like I have work in the morning. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to wake up that early to teach an old guy how to break dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh, my buddy who I used to break dance with, convinced me to do it. I go there. We're after the breakdance lesson. We're walking out, and I'm getting in my $800 uh, Chevy Cavalier car. It has a busted out tail light, and I'm getting in this piece of crap car. Oxidation spark. I don't even. Did you ever see my old car? I did actually. Yeah. So you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. And uh, and then Chris is getting in his BMW i8 supercar, which is over. Uh, he said he spent so over $250,000 on it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's getting in. The, he opens his door vertically. <laughs> and I look at him and I'm like, okay, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> what is What's your method? What's Just your method? Me. You're, you're in your mid thirties and clearly you have figured something out. Right. And he says, oh, I made a lot of my money through real estate investing, but now I help people to change their lives. Well, long story short, I went to this event um, the full three days, I didn't just go to breakdance, and it changed the way that I looked at problems. He presented this concept of um, limiting beliefs and overcoming them, but he, I recognized that he wasn't touching on all of the areas that needed to be touched on when addressing limiting beliefs. Now, a limiting belief is something like, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, I am, um, I am broken, I am... I'm worthless. I don't have any, I I can't do this. No matter how hard I try, I will always fail. Uh, These are examples of limiting beliefs or, or I'm not safe unless I put on weight Mm -hmm. is a very common. um, That's actually a very common limiting belief for women who have undergone sexual abuse. Um, Very common. They, they formulate these limiting perspectives of, or conditions. Life has to be a certain way for it to validate a specific belief that I have. So if somebody starts believing that they're not good enough, they will start looking for all of the evidence in their life that proves that being not good enough is true. Through that very selected vision. It's like putting, that paradigm. It's, it's like putting on horse blinders mm. and you're only hyper-focused on what is right for you. What, what proves that you're right? This is a, a cognitive bias called confirmation bias. It's uh, scientists call it a thinking error. And it's when you look at um, the information about yourself and you sit, or, or about anything, actually, it could be about anything. You look at something and you think you're right and you're not even willing to look at any information that potentially even suggests that you could be wrong or suggests that there is more to what you're saying. And that just starts you down on a spiral that you can't get out of really without help or without some sort of shift. Absolutely can. And so, but what I noticed is that this event was only addressing, oh, this limiting belief, you're not good enough. Let's solve it by just convincing ourselves that we are good enough. And I said, wait a minute. I know from sales that people don't make decisions logically. Mm -hmm. They make decisions emotionally. They also make decisions emotionally in trauma or in chemical feelings or emotions in their, in their brain when they're feeling something. So if somebody goes through a, a hard experience of abuse, any kind, th- that's an event. They are going to have very specific emotions. And these emotions in this event is what they call experience. Oh, because I had experience about this, this is what it means. And anyone who says otherwise is wrong. Right, that makes sense. They won't right. listen to people who try to help them. 
because it challenges their identity. It's that subjective view of what they've seen rather than the objective reality of what actually occurred. Exactly. And a lot of the times it's because people are afraid to look at the objectivity of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, Why do you think people are scared to though? It's a survival mechanism. Everybody has survival mechanisms. Anytime that we have a threat as humans, whether it is emotional or physical, we go into fight or flight and worry they're going to get triggered and run away from that thing. Okay, that, that's the word that people use. Oh, you brought up, um, like for instance, if you bring up weight, with a lot of people, men, women, they're going to get triggered. Oh, easily. It's a very triggering. Guard shoots up. Yeah. It's sensitive. It's a sensitive topic. Sensitive topics. You'll get triggered. Um, When people talk about racism, people will get triggered and they will, ah, fight or flight complex. So they will either run away from it and stop talking about it, or they will engage in a fight. And in that fight, they have to be right. And so in your experience, what got you to this point is you went to this conference, you, uh, li- you learned about this limiting belief, and you're, and you're oh. trying to apply the emotional side, you said, right? Well, we kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent. So I'm seeing Chris open his door vertically, and I say, what do you do? And he, sa- and he tells me. I start going to all this, and I start, I start studying it, and I realized that there are different paradigms that people are putting in as well. Nobody has ever looked at, oh, okay, being good enough, you're emotionally attached to that label, which is really just emotions that you're labeling, being good enough. It's an emotional thing, an emotional decision. But really, what does being good enough mean to you? How do you define being good enough? If you're getting frustrated because you're defining good enough as perfect and you're frustrated because you're not good enough, or in other words, you're not perfect. Because you're not perfect. Mm-hmm. This will create a lot of circular thinking and people don't even catch on that that's what they're emotionally believing because they're not processing what they think. In your experience with all your clients that you work with, do you find that is one of the main problems they think they have to be perfect rather than a building process? Well, the number one limiting belief is they feel that they're not good enough in some regard. They're not smart enough. They're not good enough. They're, and, and because of this, they have a fear that if they try, they will fail, right? So usually when I'm doing a breakthrough on somebody or, and that's what I call the techniques, uh, this old, this old group had a a similar name, but I call these breakthrough techniques. So it's a, it's not just one technique, it's multiple. And I combine them when I, when I use them with people, I'm addressing fear, I'm addressing insecurities and I'm addressing, um, and I'm addressing the paradigm that they have on all of these things. So when someone says, oh, I'm not good enough because I went through a divorce, right? Mm -hmm. Usually what this is tied to is um, it's it's that fight or flight. They're, They're hesitating getting into another relationship. They're saying, oh, I'm not good enough because my previous relationship failed. This is another cognitive bias. (laughs) Um, You're basically saying that you were the full problem that your um, last relationship didn't work. And and relationships are a lot like chemicals or or elements. You combine certain ones, you're going to have a great effect. You combine, you know, water with, with, you know, nitrogen though. You're in trouble. (laughs) You're in trouble. (laughs) Right. But, but they're both harmless or actually very good for us as, as they are by themselves. Right. But when you combine them, it blows up. This is because people are viewing things very differently. They have these paradigms of what money means that it could mean control to one person. It could mean value to another. Hmm. Can you see how that would cause some marital problems? Oh, absolutely. When you can't, when you have emotionally attached to certain topics or certain words in a way that you, uh, you then, no matter how hard you try to have the same communication, you're just going to both be arguing and trying to convince the other person you're right. Um, what's it, what's interesting is most of the time they're trying to say the exact same thing with a different paradigm on it. Interesting. Because they want the same goal usually. Most people want to be happy with their spouse. Well, what does that mean, right? They want their own lens though. Yeah, they want to be accepted according to what their lenses are of being accepted. And because we make decisions emotionally and words are just emotions that are labeled, that means semantics in our beliefs are everything. How you word your beliefs is very important. 
If you say you know something, that's very different than saying, I have seen a lot of evidence of this and I still choose to believe it because it benefits my life. It doesn't mean that you know something. And in fact, in, in many cases, when you don't know something, it's more empowering because then it means that you can continue to grow. When Chris and I, we started talking and we started working on this, I even said to him initially, hey, I think you're missing something in your technique. And he said, no, we're already doing it. And I said, ah, he thinks he knows what he's doing. He has a limiting belief in his own company. Mm. So I broke off from that. And I said, I'm going to start my own stuff. And I've been doing that full time for the past five years. When someone goes through a divorce, other people don't get it. It is an identity crisis because, and, and oftentimes when you go through a divorce, you are codependent on that person. Absolutely. And they were codependent on you. And it does, it literally, and I'm using that word literally, <laughs> literally and metaphorically, whatever you want to call it. It feels like you're sawing off your own arm and that you have to break through the bone, cut through the nerves. Like it hurts like a bit to get a divorce, even when you can clearly see that there are problems. And that's so hard to break away from it. And then you put those paradigms on yourself. I, and maybe it was me. What did I do wrong? I am worthless. And that just goes in this spiral of limiting beliefs where then you, it's really hard to break out of. Well, and then you throw in the sadness and then the social pressures of going through a divorce. And, and you know, if you're religious as well, that's going to impact you as well. It'll impact the way that you view God and your relationship with him. It changes everything. When a person leaves a religion, it's an identity crisis. When they go through sexual abuse and, and, and the recovering process and going through all of it, that's identity crisis. Identity is what I am an expert in. I'm an expert in understanding a, per, uh, a person's identity and the choices that they make around it so that they can live better lives. Because if you see yourself as sh or is not good enough for your entire life, you will continually put yourself into situations like that. And that is crazy. And you can see this everywhere. You can. In multiple, multiple aspects of decision-making. I mean, like, I was looking at some research here not long ago, and it's, uh, and I put this over here because I would like to discuss a particular portion of here with your expertise. And in this, um, I actually got this from PMC. It's the U.S. National Library of Medicine National Institutes of Health. And this was back in 2014. So some of it might be a hair outdated. And that's sure. why I provided some additional stats that are more, uh, more common. But I tend to see a very similar trend. And that is, uh, so when it, comes to lack, when it comes to divorce and these different issues, uh, some of the main items that have been listed for the reason of divorce, number one, lack of commitment, uh, infidelity, too much conflict or arguing, uh, getting married too young, financial problems, substance abuse, and a few others. So there's a bunch of these here that you kind of see and it's like, oh my goodness, this is a lot of reasons why people are splitting apart. And to your point, sometimes they're recycling back into similar uh, similar relationships well, with similar behaviors. Divorce rates for somebody who's gone through divorce are much higher the second time. Yeah. Right? Um, marriage uh, or actually divorce rates, uh, it varies. It, right now though, it's anywhere in between 50 and 60% in, in all marriages that happen. And this doesn't actually show all of the marriages that are still together. This should give That's you an true. idea on how rare it is to have a good relationship. And I don't think that the problem is, um, I, I don't think the problem is love. These are results because of an underlying issue. I mean, if you can, if you look at the stats here, so I, I read through this and I'm somewhat familiar with reading some of these graphs. <laughs> but what we're seeing here is there are three lines. One is for individuals who have already gone through it. The other one is for couples. One person in the couple said that this was the problem. And then there's a couple agree agreement. What I'm seeing here is lack of commitment. One person in the couple, 94.4% um, of people, of couples, they said that just one person in that marriage said that that was the problem. But then when both of them were asked, the number goes down to 70.6. Now, the underlying issue that I'm seeing here is people are believing that the problem is different than what it actually is. Why are people disagreeing in couples? Oh, if you're getting, if you're getting divorced, 
right? Wouldn't you think that it would make sense to agree what you're getting divorced on? Think so. You'd think so, right? <laughs> um, okay, so I'm gonna read one one member in a couple had this uh in statistics. They said that this was the issue, and then the couple agreeing. So lack of commitment, one person in multiple couples said. 94.4%. And then when the couples agreed, it, it went to 70.6. These numbers are different. Infidelity, 88.8. And then 31.3. For the couple agreement. For couple agreement. What does this say? This says to us that the problem isn't this. This is what the problem's creating. The problem is our paradigms. And I will tell you 100%, I've worked with so many people who have been infidel, it, they've been very, very, um, let's, just, let's just say they've cheated on each other or have extramarital relationships. I've worked with that so many times. And I will say that the number one cause of it is when one person feels shamed or both people feel shamed for not being good enough, they hide. Mm. They stop telling people personal or vulnerable things within their marriage because what are they feeling? They're feeling the stresses of marriage. They're feeling this, uh, maybe it's um, complaining. Maybe it is financial problems. Maybe it is the stress of substance abuse. And what's really crazy about this is people are, they're seeing these things and they're disagreeing on it. And that means that the problem is based deeper it's based on oh i feel like i'm not good enough and i don't think that if i communicate with my spouse that they're going to accept me and so when they go out to manage their stress it's not because they hate their spouse it's not it's actually that's actually very very tiny reason why people cheat mm -hmm. it's because they're afraid of communicating they're afraid of talking about the things they're ashamed of. They're afraid of talking about their perspectives or their paradigms of their own identity. They're afraid of talking about their relationship and how both people see it. And when you see that people are disagreeing and that these are just things that come up, I mean, why does a person uh, commit infidelity? No communication and no connection, right? They, they're seeking it in another way. Mm -hmm. Why do people have too much conflict and arguing? Well, I think it goes into the same thing. Financial problem or, or conflict and arguing, if it goes on forever, it can cause stre ongoing stress. Getting married too young can cause a person to believe based on a paradigm, oh, I got married too young. That, that right there, getting married too young, that phrase is a limiting belief. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> that is a limiting belief. And yet these are the results that people are picking as the reasons why they're getting divorces, separating or fighting, whatever it may be. Financial problems can be very, very challenging. And I think that we probably need to talk more about that because that's the topic. Um, and that's what I want to get to here because so so far we've it's been actually a very good conversation because we're understanding that a lot of these results, having bad finances, bad communication are a result of an underlying issue that is more of your it's concept. More sinister than you think. It's it coming from you. How big of an issue is it today actually? Because we, we see these results, we see these numbers here, but... Uh, the underlying issue, is it a much larger issue widespread or is it limiting it just for a few people? Like what do you no, see in your profession? I believe that this is, this is every single person has limiting beliefs. And I, to what degree? Well, that, again, that depends, right? Like it, it depends what the person has gone through. Typically a person who has gone through uh, a traumatic event or, or some type of abuse or any kind of addiction, they will formulate specific um, paradigms on themselves or about life that can continue to limit them. It's because we're judging ourselves, judging our lives based on previous emotional experiences that we've made a decision about that then limit us. And it is so bad, I, I see it in everyone. I see it in everyone, Todd. I see it in you. I see it in your wife. I see it in my wife. I see it in myself. I see it in, in people that I coach. I see it in people on the street. I see it in people on TV when they talk. You can see limiting beliefs when you're paying attention close enough. And it starts you asking, well, what happened to them? And why haven't they solved it? Interesting. So let's now relate this because I think... Uh because I do agree that so many people have limiting beliefs on some shape or fashion. Yeah. Oh, I can never have this. I can never do that. And that's, a, and that's a problem. And one of them that I see a ton that we're trying to solve, at least with homemade operations, is the limiting belief that, oh, I can't have money. 
So when you ask somebody, why can't you? It's, oh, I don't have the skills to do it. Or I don't have the resources. I don't have uh, money. I don't have the connections. Where's that all pointing back to? I'm not good enough. There you go. And and like if a person believes emotionally, not logically, that they're not good enough, are they going to make logical decisions when it comes to that? Or are they going to make emotional decisions that oftentimes are tied to what an eight-year-old would decide? The other one that I see too is um, when it comes to just, I don't know what's out there. It's, I don't have, I don't know all the different investments. I don't know any of this stuff. And what they tend to do is close off their doors immediately. It's like they're at a base of a mountain and they're like, oh, I want to become a hiker. I want to get to the top. And they look at it and say, oh, that's big. And they get scared and they're afraid to take that first step climbing up that mountain. So what you're discussing is something that um, it, it has everything to do with fear. This is, this is fear. Um, it also probably, I don't know your audience as well, but probably ties into something that's happened in their past where they made a decision about themselves. I'm not good enough. And then subconsciously through the reticular activating system, like if you buy a new car, you see everybody driving the car that you've bought. Um, the reticular activating system will then look for, oh, I'm not good enough. Everything that points out, oh, I'm not good enough. And you'll build up this massive amount of information, which supports a lie. Because maybe you are good enough. Because maybe you are good enough. And, and in fact, uh, what's interesting is the more that you study uh, identity, identity is actually an illusion. Who you are is made up. <laughs> it's it's all based on the emotions and the experiences you've made. And only limited and to. What you decide about yourself, it's an illusion. You could change that in an instance or in an instant. I could totally see that. And that's usually why people say, oh, I didn't know who I just married because maybe you even view yourself differently one way and then you act differently with other groups of people while other groups of people, you act a different way. Yeah, chameleons. <laughs> <laughs> no, chameleons are fine. I, I think that there's a lot of skills that we can learn about re relatability from chameleon type personalities. For sure. Um, I don't think it's healthy though because it's not allowing a person to address what's actually going on within their own life. They're codependent to everyone mm -hmm. they're they're uh they rely on on other people to become who they are so let's let's ask you this because um this is kind of getting into the point where i want to talk about here so what if let's say we're in a relationship that's having some tribulations some issues you and i and uh, not us let's do it <laughs> why not why not we sure we'll have some fun on this <laughs> so let's say you're in a relationship with someone and they're having some and let's say so we have learned based on this conversation from you just barely that a lot of these problems when it comes to arguing and also uh, financial issues are usually a result of something underneath mm -hmm. so let's let's talk about that a little bit so let's say we're a couple that's having some conflict or arguing and you want to actually diffuse some of this. You're thinking, I need to get rid of these results that we're having that's causing problems, that's causing negative conflict. Conflict is not necessarily bad, yes. but it's negative conflict where it's you got two opposing sides that are now fighting each other. You have pride. Let's give some really good uh, examples because uh, when it comes to communication, um, belief systems are behind everything that we communicate. You know, um, people have this drive to be right. So what I would do is if people are arguing and they're coming at each other's throats, the first thing I would say is, do you guys still want to be together? Like, be honest. Do you actually enjoy your life together? And probably don't make that decision in the moment you're angry and upset. Don't make it in the moment <laughs> you're angry and upset. But I ask them, is this something that you want? Mm -hmm. Everyone you like the reason that they're seeing me in the first place is because they want to keep their marriage together, right? It, it, so they will always say, yeah, we want to keep our marriage together. We want we want to uh, to resolve the issues, but we see that there are a lot of issues. And I say, okay, perfect. So first off, we're going to go to one side and we're going to hear what they have to say. I write notes. And, when, and you'll see, you'll see that the other person will want to interject to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll, and I'll just go like this. Oh, hold on. You'll get your time. And sometimes it's for like an hour with that one person. And then I go over to the other side. Same thing happens. I get information and I'm, I'm just kind of guiding and trying to get as much information as possible. And then I look at it side by side and I say, okay, guys, you both have the same goal. Let's look at why it's not working. Mm -hmm. And we look at it and we look at the story. And then I ask, uh, I ask 
paradigm reframing questions. I say, is it possible that your wife wasn't trying to hurt you in this instance, but rather was trying to do what was best for the children? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was playing a video game uh, recently, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, okay? There's a shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> I love the game. It is, it is really great. Within like the first hour of the game though, you're faced with this really hard decision on one of the islands. And there are these religious people and they're about to kill this family that apparently has a disease. They're going to kill the family in order to stop the disease. And you can make a decision one way or another. You can allow them to kill the family and then the disease doesn't spread later in the game. Mm. Or you can, you know, kill the religious guys. It's Assassin's Creed to kill people. That's how you make decisions. Okay. <laughs> That's how you solve conflict. Um, so you have the tools that you but need. Then, but then later on, you, uh, you see that it caused a massive pandemic, right? And so it's choices like these where you have to say, What's right? Is it right to kill a family? Or is it right to allow the disease to spread and and kill an entire city? It's the classic trolley example. Yeah. Where you have the trolley. The trolley I, example yep. is the exact one. Can you describe that? Sure. So the, and uh, fill in the holes if I, yeah. uh, if I don't, if I miss all the facts. So when it comes to the trolley example, it's uh, basically, and there's different renditions of this, like with doctors and a whole lot of other things. But the main concept of it is you have a trolley that is going down some sort of path and uh, you, it's going down a, a trajectory, a trajectory that's going to kill like five or six people. So you have the choice. To pull okay. Pull lever. Yep. You have the choice. Okay. Well, what if I pull the lever and kill one person, but maybe I know the person, or maybe. And so there's a lot of different scenarios around this. So it's hey, it's going to kill these five people, but is it right or ethically correct if I pull that lever and it kills the one person? So I'm deliberately choosing to kill one person to save five. Or is it the course of nature that those five people are just going to die and it's not the, uh, the nature where that one person would have died? So what is right and wrong? So this is exactly what happens in marriage. This is yeah. exactly what happens in marriage. And, and then we get offended when someone's intention was never to offend us, but was to do what was the best choice or to make the best choice. Um, so if somebody is arguing though, that's exactly what I would do. I would sit them down. I'd listen to both sides, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. That is the number one best technique that a person can apply in any type of an argument. You think you're right. You need to put that aside for a moment because you might not be right. Another example. Um, one time I was, uh, I told my wife, I was like, hey, we're in a rush. We got to get out. We got to get out the door, um, have the baby ready. Like by the time I get back um, with, uh, with the dog. So I go walk the dog and I come back. Baby's not ready. Mm -hmm. She's not ready. And I'm like, what the hell? Like we agreed. Like we had this expectation, right? So immediately I'm disappointed because I set up an expectation for something like that. We had agreed on something. This will happen often. You will get disappointed with each other. And I say, why are you like, why, why didn't you get anything ready? Like, it, it feels like you don't even care that we have to get somewhere right now. You know, I didn't say it quite like that, but that's the, that's the emotion that will normally happen in a situation like that. And this could apply to any scenario, any scenario finances, or if you're dealing with shopping or if you're dealling with, uh, or or just a coworker, right? Food. So, I mean, I come back and she's not ready and I say, hey, why aren't you ready? Like, well, shoot, we're going to be late. Like, it, it feels really inconsiderate. Mm -hmm. And then she says, McLean, I'm so sorry. I, I saw that she was trying to explain something different. So I stopped and rather than pointing the finger and saying, you don't care about my time, you don't care about other people's time, I, uh, I just sat back and listened. And I said why weren't you ready? And she said, well, our daughter had crazy diarrhea and I also um, was trying to change her from that and she also threw up all over her clothes. Ooh. So I had to change her entire outfit and a big old poopy diaper that was kind of messy and I apologize it took a little bit more time. So was she inconsiderate? I think 
a lot of people would consider uh, that she might have been from the beginning. And we make assumptions. Assumptions mm-hmm. are also cognitive biases. When we assume something, when we don't have enough information. So essentially, she uh, it's very easy to make those judgments because we want to be right. And assu- assuming something rather than listening is where a lot of people get into conflict. They are more concerned with being right. And in many times, in many times, they might be right. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Someone is going to be right in an argument on something, right? Or both people won't be. What I'm challenging everyone to do, and you must, you must have uh, this happen with both people to have a successful communication, right? Yeah, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. So what you do is you simply take turns. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. You just let them talk. And then you don't respond to it, actually. Then you talk, and they don't respond. And then with the information, you come together and you make a decision together. Um, And this will help because that's actually one of my questions coming up, which was we view things in our purview, in our limited scope, right? Like we have that tunnel vision, and we make those assumptions that can be very incorrect at times. Yeah. So if somebody is trying to, let's say, have a financial conversation and they're trying to say, okay, spouse, we're doing something or partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, sure. whatever it may be. Um, I need to, we need to discuss something about spending habits or, and let's say you have one partner that does not want to do this. They has, has a lot of limiting beliefs or they're angry or they, uh, they don't want to believe that they're have a spending habit issue, but you notice it couple questions on this and I want to, I want to get your take. Yeah. How do you approach that conversation Great in question. a safe way mm-hmm. so that way you can have that conversation without causing animosity and at the same time you get it's productive. You need to validate that their fear is incorrect. So they're afraid uh well, for instance, if if I were to come to you, let's say that you're spending like 100 or a thousand dollars a day. Let's say you're spending a thousand dollars a day. Okay, wow. a ridiculous spending <laughs> habit. Okay, that's man. I so wish... that's a, you're spending a lot of money, Todd. So how would I approach this? Um, if I were to just go in and attack you, it would actually validate your fears. You're probably you probably realize that what you're doing is just as harmful to the family as anything else. You you probably understand what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? Most people aren't like, oh, I wasn't aware I was spending $1,000 a day. (laughs) How did that happen? (laughs) How did that happen? It's a known topic and it's sensitive because it requires having a hard conversation about comfort, insecurity, fear, and, and so forth. And so most people won't even have a conversation like that and they'll allow their wife to, or husband, Okay, I'm not going to play either side. Absolutely. Um, and it can uh, it can just really uh, hurt the relationship. So here's what I would do in that. Um, there is a book that you can read on this called Crucial Conversations. It's by like three psychologists and it's a fantastic book. I would go through and I'd annotate it. And I apply this all the time in communication. Helps me to mediate fights too. <laughs> And um, what it is, is you, you need to express your intentions first. Mm-hmm. You need to express where you're at in the relationship and then what your goal is in having a conversation even before you bring up the hard information. Because then you can talk about literally anything as long as a person's emotional state is secure. You've created safety. So what I would say to you in that situation would be, hey, I want to I want to have a really open conversation. But before we do that, um, is it OK if I if I just uh, share where I'm coming from, why I even want to have this conversation? Um, they might say yes, they might say no, um, depending on the spouse can change the way that you approach this. OK, mm-hmm. um, then I would say something like, OK, so I. I'm convinced that you want what's best for this family. And I'm convinced that you you want to do the right thing, that you want us to be on you know good terms. I also want this. I want to have the best open communication so that we can talk about anything, so that we can be best friends. 
I want to have that kind of a relationship with you. And I realize that if I don't have this potentially very hard conversation, um, I, I might be uh, causing us to miss out on a potential growth opportunity together. And so I want to grow together. I want you to know I love you. And I want you to know that I'm doing this to benefit both of us. This, uh, this is not about me. This is not about being right or wrong. This is about us working together. Um, and with that being said, I want to, I want to continue to grow in this marriage. Here's, uh, here's some of the challenges that I'm noticing though. Um, it, it seems to me, you don't use accusational language, you use, uh, it's called labeling. Um, it seems to me, it feels like, it sounds like these are non-accusational statements. These have a lot of power in them. Because if you say something, like it seems like you're really frustrated or really stressed, scientifically, that person's stress or anxiety will go down because you mentioned it. Interesting. So if you do it with positive, it's the opposite. It sounds like you're really happy. So what I like what you're saying People here is happier. so what I like what you're saying is because typically anytime that my blood starts to boil or I get my you know, my guard starts to shoot up is when someone says, Hey, you screwed up. <laughs> or you're, you're accusational doing, yeah you're right? making a mistake here and there it's, it, it sounds to me like you're really frustrated with this situation todd it's like leveling the playing field a little bit it's like um maybe i, ju- I, I just used it for you <laughs> but like that's that, that's the technique right did you yeah. feel threatened when i said that no no you didn't did you feel like i cared sure absolutely absolutely because it's curiosity it's genuine interest right now you don't want to just it seems like you're angry. Just to use it against it, you need to be genuine in all of your communication. You cannot fake it till you make it. This is one lie that I think our society facilitates. Fake it till you make it. It is a lie. Figure out a way to practice authentically. That is the key to success. You don't fake it till you make it. You practice and fail genuinely, authentically, until you are actually kick ass at it. So what if someone approaches you and says, okay, I try to do that, but maybe, so maybe they have a limiting belief, sure. right? So maybe- Give me uh, a situation. But, so let's say I'm approaching my spouse and they're, and, and we've talked about this for three years and they're, they're spending is just crazy. And I'm thinking, okay, I need to have a conversation where I want them on my side here. But the last three years, I've been addressing it in such a harsh manner that if I try to switch it off and say, okay, mm, let me get to That's not, a really great question. If I don't go, if I try to not be accusatory, or if that's a word. Yeah, accuse, accusational. Accusa- um, accusational. I think I know where how, you're going with this, how, how to would, do it. Exactly. How would you do it? Because that person would be like, oh, what are you trying to try on me now? You've treated me this way for three years on the same topic. What's the change? They're not going to believe the person. Well, unless you frame it differently. So mm-hmm. if, if you're coming at it from that aggressive standpoint or from that aggressive situation, I would say, hey, you know, I, I feel like I've made a mistake in a lot of the communication I've had with you in the past. Um, acknowledge your fault. You know, I've, I've been really uh, accusational. And it hasn't, it hasn't fixed uh, anything for us. It's actually caused more problems. And I've been part of this. Um, I, I recognize that I can't keep approaching it that way. However, I need you to understand when I bring certain things up, it is because I'm concerned about us. It's because I don't, I don't want us to have bad blood or a bad relationship or even miscommunication. My desire is for us to be able to communicate openly about hard topics and and be on the same team. Rather than pointing fingers and and trying to say who's right and who's wrong, we listen to each other and then we say, okay, how can we address this? Hun, you, uh, I have noticed and it seems like um, there is a need or or an extreme um, drive to purchase a lot of things. And and I'm going to be afraid of how I use the word over-purchase because I don't want it to feel like I'm trying to ac- accuse you of anything. I want to understand what's going on because we're on the same team. And if it's something that I can help you with, how can I help you with this? If it's something we we need to talk about, and maybe, maybe it's something that's not even money-related, how can we work on this together? I mean, when I said that, when I said I do over the altar... I committed to work with you, not point the finger at you. 
Now, if you had a spouse where you're having that hard conversation with them and they understand that skill and how to reciprocate that in a relationship, can you imagine two people listening to each other in the same room? That would be interesting. <laughs> what would happen to that marriage? Mm. Would it become stronger or weaker? I imagine if they understand it and they know that you're, if it's in your best interest to help them, I think it would get stronger. It can get stronger. But... Sometimes, and, and this is where we need to go, sometimes people are not willing to work with you. Because they know it's like, oh, you're trying to use me as a tactic on me or something, manipulate me or something. Well, and and if they believe that, that's one thing that could be just a fear or an insecurity. If they're accusing you of that, this is gaslighting. Mm. And gaslighting is when you accuse a person or um, tell them what they mean or or how they're actually viewing something to alter their reality. Changing their perception on how they've seen it or experienced it. Most people who are being gaslighted don't know it. And that happens a, a ton in relationships, I imagine. Happens a lot. Honey, that's not how it happens. This isn't how things are. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, those are, <laughs> those are gaslighty statements. And what we want to do is we want to be able to identify um, what those problems are so that we can really start to create better communication. If you're in a relationship with someone who's gaslighting you, well, I'm going to be pretty frank with you. If you are not able to have communication like this, chances are you probably won't. There are really great people who know how to communicate and who want to communicate and I would even say that there's a, a, a vast majority, I would say that this is the vast majority of the world, people who want to communicate well, who just simply don't know how. Um, one of the reasons why I talk so much about gaslighting is because th this is essentially, here, I'm going to frame it in such a way that it forms a limiting belief within your mind so that it matches my reality that I'm creating for it's you. It's a control mechanism. It's a control thing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, oftentimes people who are being gaslighted uh, think that they are the problem. Because they're being framed that way. Because they're, the yes. they're being framed that way and then they start to frame themselves that way. They take on the the abuse and they become... Now I'm not good enough. Now I can't climb that mountain. This is a classic narcissist codependent relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Because then a narcissist, right? And I, I don't use that word very commonly. However, it... It happens a lot. I wouldn't say grandiose narcissism. I'm careful with how I call people a narcissist. Right. But narcissism is the same way. As, it's the same difference as racism and racists. Right. A narcissist is someone who like utilizes this a lot. A racist is someone who exhibits a lot of racism. Mm -hmm. Narcissism is a trait. It can come out in various times with various people and it's just, it's, it's a, it's a way in which a person thinks sometimes. Right. And oftentimes, uh, it's conditioned into them from a, a father or, or an authority figure who might actually have narcissism. Maybe. Most leaders, um, that are very, very passionate and very driven to the point that nothing stops them are either psychopaths or narcissists. So how would somebody that's in a relationship where gaslighting is occurring and maybe yeah, the person sorry, I keep going off. No, it's but maybe they're not a uh, maybe they're not a person who gaslights often but they do. So you're thinking, okay, this relationship is salvable. It's it's good. It's a, we want to be together still. How can I help that other person realize they're gaslighting? Yeah. And not first recognize your own. Um when you when you make it about us rather than about you, you're going to have way more success in your marriage. So if someone is engaging in gaslighting behavior, I would first identify where I am engaging in gaslighting behavior. And I'd say, hey, I want to talk to you about something that I've been reading about. And it's something that I, I didn't really realize before. I would even, excuse me, I'd even approach it from like a, an educational standpoint um, just to see where they're at. Because you don't know if... If they recognize it at all. If you don't know if own. they recognize it or not. You want to kind of test it without being accusational because just because you see something in them doesn't mean that they see something in them. Do you typically see gaslighting occur in relationships on both ends if one's typically doing it or is it mainly coming or is it mainly skewed where one side is doing it more than the other? It's uh, it's both. It depends. Abusers, they've le learned because they were abused. 
Right. You know, and so like similar mechanisms used on them, maybe. Ha- yeah, and so if it's a if it's a survival thing to constantly be questioning each other's realities and and calling each other fools because you don't agree with each other, I mean, I would say that that fits a lot of America's marriages. Mm. That's uh, that is gaslighting each other. There are times when the woman doesn't gaslight her husband or anything, but she continues to gaslight herself, um, and vice versa. It could happen to men. It happened to me. You know, in my previous marriage. Um, and so sometimes people need to get out of abusive situations. Absolutely. Sometimes, yeah. and, and, and sometimes they don't realize that they're in them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have uh, a form of Stockholm syndrome and they're in love with their abuser. Um, the narcissist plays a role where they're codependent on the codependency of the person that continues to fuel them. They, they thrive in controlling someone who believes they have no control. It's, uh, and sometimes they do it without even realizing it. I, I would even say most narcissists don't even question if they're a narcissist or not. So question on that <laughs> then, because I think that's a very good point. So if somebody is a narcissist, a narcissist, and they're sure. listening to this program and they have no idea that they are one, what is your advice to them? What is it, What are the steps where you can start to recognize, ooh, I'm a narcissist. Like, I need to adjust this. Maybe I'm are gaslighting you, Are you willing to be publicly wrong? And what do you mean by public? Publicly. Well, ha- well, okay, that's just one question I would say. When I say publicly wrong, I mean... Would you be embarrassed if somebody proved to you that you were wrong? I imagine a narcissist would be. Yeah, they would be. They, they can't fathom the idea. Mm-hmm. They will manipulate multiple people in order to frame themselves from a social standpoint as a specific type of a person. Oftentimes when I've met narcissists, they are not unkind people. Mm-hmm. They're very successful. They're very charismatic. And they're very nice. Interesting. They're, they're, they're kind. They, and, and they present themselves as a source of kindness in many ways. Um, it's, it's a form of branding even. (laughs) And, uh, so, I mean, are there traits that we can learn from in, in a, in a good way from narcissism? Absolutely. I think that even studying the positive uh, aspects of psychopathy and, and not feeling fear is a, a very good thing that we can learn from. But we need to be aware if we're actually dealing with someone who doesn't care about us and actually is building our entire relationship just around them. We need to recognize that everybody, everyone, even experts who claim that they have everything made are just as f***ed up as the rest of us. And we all need to work together. We all need to stand together in terms of seeing these outside triangulating limiting beliefs when you can remove shame all shame and you can have that open communication with each other not only will you be better friends not only will you be happier with yourself and with your relationship they're going to be happier with you you're going to have much more interesting conversations and you will be able to trust yourself and trust them remove the shame when we're shaming each other, this pushes people into hiding. So key takeaways from this conversation. Loved everything that we've been hearing today. Hopefully this has helped you all. I do have one more question from McLean after this. Uh, but before we get to that question, I just want just to outline and uh, also chime, have uh, McLean chime in if I'm missing anything. Some key takeaways that will help us. Number one, a lot of the problem that we're having is limiting beliefs. It's uh, usually limiting beliefs will result in different actions that will cause problems, financial issues. Uh, If you're going to lead to divorce or all these other things, it's because these belief systems can cause those potential problems. They cause you to make decisions based on the information that's presented and the emotions you're feeling about it. So if you want to make changes, if you want to make changes to your life to make adjustments, you got to get rid of those. Here, I'll even give you guys a a, a very simple five Five questions, very simple five questions. Remember these, because this will help you. First, you have to validate emotion. So the first two questions are, are designed to do that. What are the emotions I'm feeling? Why am I feeling these emotions? You cannot say I don't know to any of these questions. <laughs> the, the last three are, what do I want? What do I need to believe or perceive to get what I want? And what do I need to do 
to get what I want. So if you're in a situation where you're talking to a spouse that is potentially gaslighting you, what are the emotions you're feeling? You feel trapped. You feel like uh, you don't know who you really are or what your purpose is. Uh, You feel like you can't do things on your own. Why do you feel this way? Now you can't say I don't know. So you have to think about that one. What do you want? Well, I want to have a good marriage, okay? What do you need to believe or perceive in order to understand uh, or, or in order to get what you want? Maybe a different paradigm is, what do I need to believe or perceive? Maybe I need to see that a lot of my insecurities and my fears are deeply impacting my marriage in a very unfair way to myself as well as to my spouse, okay? So it could go both ways. Um, Then the last thing is what do you need to do? Once you have identified what you need to do, take immediate action or action as soon as possible. I'll either put it in my calendar or I will do it immediately. And the challenge is you wanna do it as close to now as possible. Within 48 or 24 hours is probably the best. Um, so in that instance, I need to have a very clear cut conversation with my husband after reading crucial conversations and annotating exactly and structuring exactly how I want to navigate this communication with my spouse so that I can get this result. And, um, so those five questions, uh, I use them every day. I use them with my clients. I use them on myself. It's quick. It's effective. Whenever you're stuck or you don't know what to do. You can't say, I don't know. Ask yourself those five questions. Let's do them one more time. What emotion am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? What do I want? What do I need to do? Or or what do I need to believe or perceive to get what I want? And then what do I need to do? Then commit to taking that action immediately. Fantastic. And with those five things, we also talked about, okay, well, when we're actually communicating, so having a crucial conversation with your spouse. Now, these can be related to anything that that we're talking about. Finances, finances. Whatever it could be. There's so many different topics that these can apply to. So when you need to have that crucial conversation, when you need to have that discussion, you need to focus on basically making a safe zone. I want safety. To, I want to give safety here. Safety so the person is not going to feel like I want to harm them or hurt them or uh, gaslight them in any sort of way. Right. Once you have that safety there, then you can bring up these different topics. But well, what we learned from McLean today, don't use accusations. <laughs> Don't yeah. use accusations. Use- yeah, you you always do this. You never do this. Uh, I hate it when you do this. Oh, I hate it how you say this. Ugh. Is your partner going to listen to you? No, they're not going <laughs> to listen to anything you have to say after that. You're done. Like, that conversation's over. Because no one likes that. But everyone likes growth. They like connection. They're just afraid to do it. So sometimes it takes a little bit more time to plan how you're going to set up that environment, express your intentions in full, and then proceed with having those uh, types of conversations. And don't give up. Even if you've been, so even if you've treated a spouse for three years a certain way, and you have, you may need to think of alternate ways to bring that up. And McLean told us a little bit on how to do that. Apologize. Apologize. Own it. Take full responsibility. And then basically you're asking everyone to take responsibility for the team. But you're doing it first. Um, it, in, it inspires a lot of people to follow. When you do something vulnerable first, usually people will start showing up in vulnerable ways too. Last thing to remember, also another crucial point to remember, don't forget, more than likely you both have the same goal. More than likely you have the same goal, you're just looking at it from different paradigms, different ways. So just get on the same page. Use these tactics that McLean was talking about, get on the same page, and I think you'll see a lot more success. So last question from McLean here before we end out the day. Now, so if you are for, if, for newlyweds, people who are first getting married or people who are entering into relationships and potential conflict might come by in the future, well, what should they do first when they first get married? What are some things, what is your advice that you would give them now before they get married or to newlyweds or even people who already have been married for a long time that want to better their situation by uh, through different conversations, finances, or whatever it may be. Yeah, so I, I would say that the, the actual real reason why marriages fail is failed expectations. And then people get disappointed and then they make decisions about it with their beliefs and then that kind of corrodes or puts a wedge in between them. What I would say is you need to have very honest communication up front. You need to 
setting the expectations is not the right way to say it, (laughs) (laughs) but you need to set the tone on how you both will communicate because how you communicate will determine how you navigate your marriage. It's not who's right. It's not who's wrong. It's how you choose to communicate and be honest with each other. And still, regardless of how honest it may be, your husband might tell you he's gay. Like, that's a really real thing. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And it will allow you to have more empathy, more connection, more vulnerability. You will look back on this podcast as one of the most life tra- uh, life-changing techniques or, or frame-ups of how to navigate these conversations. You just need to be committed to loving a person. And that might mean if their beliefs or their morals disagree with you. What a great opportunity to choose to love someone. With that, everyone, that I don't think we can end on a better note than that. McLean, thank you so much for being here. It's no always problem. It's always a pleasure. If anyone has any questions or needs any help, uh, what's how can they get in contact with you if they need your services? Great question. So McLean is spelled M-C, capital L-E-A-N, and then my last name's Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R. My middle initial is A. So if you want to find me, just go to McLeanATaylor.com or you can go you can email at me at McLeanATaylor at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook under McLean Taylor. Um, I also have a business profile on there as well. And uh, I'm more than happy to discuss if if people need anything or or if they feel that they are really, really stuck and they might need a, an extra hand in helping them. Um, I'm a, I'm a major proponent in believing in people. I believe that people can figure these things out on their own. However, um, I'm just good at helping people save a lot of time. So yeah, feel free to reach out more than happy to help. McLean, thank you so much for being here. Everyone. Thank you for this uh, Friday special with Friday friends. We're extremely happy to have you all here and we'll see you on another episode of homemade ops. (laughs) 